Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Over the Cap podcast. It is December 9th, 2022, and this is Jason Fitzgerald. You can find me on Twitter at Jason underscore OTC, or you can get in touch with me via email, Jason at overthecap.com. Uh, as usual, I am joined by uh, the bunny Nelly. Nelly, anything? There was a little bit more activity there for a second. I heard some, like, hopping around or something. Um, but I guess Nellie's back to being in hiding. Nellie already got her treat, so that means she should be uh, pretty quiet, I think. Uh, we're recording a little bit later on a uh, Saturday night, so hopefully this will come out okay. But uh, we're past the 10 p.m. mark, but uh, we had a little bit of a later evening. My daughter had a school dance. She's in eighth grade, so this is like the, the first of these things. Um you know, that she was going to, so we were waiting until that got done, and then I guess they had a little, I guess her and her friends went to the little diner or whatever they have here, so my wife dropped them off over there, so I was waiting for them to get back uh, from that before I started to record. Um, yeah, a little bit of a funny story. So anyway, uh, well, uh, I'll, th- this is just what brought it up. So Dogfish Head again tonight, the, the low-carb Dogfish Head stuff, since uh, I'm still kind of following that somewhat. But uh, we went out to just grab a quick bite to eat uh, in between the dance starting. And, you know, it was just like, well, where where could we go? It was Chili's. It was the, basically the place to find that uh, we knew we could eat at, that my wife could get out of quick enough to be able to go and pick everyone up at the dance. So we get to Chili's and waiter comes by the table, and, you know, little spiel or whatever about, uh, you know, everything. And, you know, would you like something to drink? I'm just like, uh, I'll just take a Michelob Ultra. And I got a blank look. <laughs> I was like, do they not have it? Like, it was it was kind of confusing to me. And then I realized that the waiter was so young, he had absolutely no idea. Um, he had no idea what that was. And finally he gave this blank look. You know, I got his face and he goes, is that a beer? Like... <laughs> Yeah, you can go ask the bartender and uh, just make it a tall one. <laughs> so that that was my amusing adventure of the uh, the night. So that and uh, school dance. So that's uh, kind of kept me a little bit late on this. So we'll uh, jump into this now and we'll see how many questions we have and uh, how much that um, kind of drags things on at the end of it. Uh, but I think the main thing really to talk about, the first thing to talk about here was the Titans firing John Robinson. It was the, I, I can't say it's the strangest thing to happen in the NFL this year, right? You know, Jeff Saturday is a head coach. So, I mean, th- there's some crazy stuff that kind of happens in the, in the NFL um, all the time, but I can't really recall anything like this. So, the Tennessee Titans are in first place in their division. Now, the Titans aren't a great team or anything like that. They're seven and five. Um, you know they've been a pretty good team. You know for the last couple of years. Now I'm not saying that they've uh, exactly lit the world on fire. You know they they are a. I, I don't want to say an untalented team. It's not. They just don't have a lot of guys that really stand out as, like, great football players. And obviously this comes off the heels of getting eviscerated by their former receiver, A.J. Brown. But I can't imagine that that would be reason to, you know, fire someone. 
Like, that just doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, Robinson was hired, I think it was 2016. Just double-check that. Yeah, 2016. You know, it comes from the New England tree. Um, you know, but he was hired in 2016. And, I mean, if, if you look at what they did, when he came in, he took over a team that was 3-13. and 13. Um, nine and seven, nine and seven, nine and seven, nine and seven, 11 and five, 12 and five. And this year they're seven and five. Now, again, are they a over the top great team? No, they, they probably never had an opportunity to win a Super Bowl under his watch. Um, you know, last year they were the number one seed. Nobody looked at them as the best team in the AFC. I don't even know if people looked at them as the third best team, um, in the AFC last year. But, you know, they've done a good job in, you know, piecing that team together, even though they've they've had some failures in the draft. They're, they're one of these teams that, that's a little bit weird. Uh, I, I would say that they've found some decent players, you know, in the draft, but some of their high picks have really been, you know, really bad. Um I think part of that is that they they seem to I don't know maybe just not pay attention as much to injury issues or maybe they're they're over projecting um, you know guys coming from maybe some smaller schools and stuff like that but you know I mean they they've had some decent guys um, you know that they've brought in and that they, they've had some you know big misses too but as far as I know, from everything that they explain, they, they extended him in February. And, you know, I, I pulled up a quote that's on Twitter, um, somewhere on my profile there. Let, let's see if I can pull up that, that one again. So this is from the owner of the Tennessee Titans, and this was back in February. This was done. So let's just let me just take a look at this. Just give me one second to look this up. So her quote here, I'm proud to say that John and Mike will be leading our football team for years to come. I've seen the team improve on a yearly basis under their direction, and I know their singular goal is to deliver a championship for our fans. Together, they've developed a culture within our organization that has been essential to our success. Their values align with mine, and that's what I want the Titans to be. How do you go from that in February to firing the guy in the middle of a year when they're going to make the playoffs again and basically insinuate that the team is going now in the wrong direction? You know, her her statement when she fires him is, you know, just, just a complete contradiction of what was said just a couple of months ago. I uh, believe we've made significant progress both on and off the field through investments in leadership, personnel, new ideas. Progress includes core of our business, football team itself, uh, regularly evaluated by results such as wins, uh, win and losses, excuse me, wins and losses, and team construction slash roster building. I'm proud of what we've accomplished in my eight seasons of ownership, but I believe there's more to be done and higher aspirations to be met. And it... it it reads as a thing, you know, the first line on this, which I probably skipped over here, since becoming controlling owner in 2015, my goal has been to raise the standard for what is expected in all facets of our organization. You know, it, it reads as if the firing here had really less to do with football and 
more to do with something else. And I have no idea what that something else is. You know, I mean, if you take a team and I I don't believe there was a split between the two. Um, you know, I think Mike Vrabel has put himself in a, a pretty, pretty good class of coaches um, when you're looking at guys that get a lot out of their players. And even if there are certain guys they can't develop, you know, just find other guys to kind of plug in and, you know, go from there. So maybe he's getting a lot of the credit, you know, and I, I think he's, you know, very clearly on that level of like the, the Mike Tomlin types and stuff where you almost feel like you're just going to be able to pencil them in for a good season. But I don't know. It, it was just, it's just so strange. I, I went and looked up to see what could have changed from February onward. The Titans didn't really lose anybody other than A.J. Brown. That's the only player of merit that they lost. All the other guys that they lost are either no longer in the league or, you know, are kind of lower salaried guys. Um, the amount of roster turnover that they had was basically average. I think it was around 63%, um, which is just, it's basically right at the league average. You know, league, league returns about 60% of a roster in a given year. So, they basically came back with the same team. And remember, A.J. Brown missed a lot of last season, which may have been part of the reason that, you know, they, they thought that they could maybe get by without him this year. Um, obviously, that was a bad decision, but everybody makes a bad decision. Um, and I looked at players that they brought in, and it's like there's only two guys they brought in. You know, it was Robert Woods, who they brought in via trade, and... Um, Austin Hooper, who they signed for, I think it was $6 million a year. That's the only changes that have really come to the organization since February. You know, all the other stuff, you know, brought up, I, I brought up, well, you know, if you track their receiver spending, yeah, it is kind of crazy that they didn't want to pay A.J. Brown, but they were willing to spend, you know, all that money on Julio Jones, plus the draft picks on Julio Jones, and whatever money that they're spending this year on Woods, you know, $10 million or so, give or take a little bit. Um, you know, it, it's, you know, that that's something you can bring up. I mean, that that's a fair argument. They, let, let me actually pull up the numbers. See, our internet has been giving us a pain these last couple of uh, days here. Try to upgrade our service, and the upgrade is basically turned into a downgrade. Uh, I guess that's the the wonder of dealing with Optimum, and they are like useless if you try to contact them for uh, any kind of help. So anyway, that is my uh, my gripe with uh, Optimum right now. Anyway, let's see. So on Jones, they spent uh, what's this Buccaneers deal? How much did they spend on him on the Titans? Seventeen three. That's uh, that's what it is. So they paid him fifteen three last year, and then he had two million this year that was paid. Now there there would be an offset, I believe, on that, so they'll, they'll get a credit for it. But you know they spent seventeen three on him, and then this year they spent on Woods. Let's take a look.
10. So, yeah, so, you know, between the two of them, it's basically 27 million completely wasted. And, you know, AJ Brown this year is making, let's see how much Brown. Uh, so he's making 24 this year and then 12 next season. So it's 36 over two. Um, obviously, the contract has a very high guarantee. The Eagles guaranteed 56 right up front. 50 That's like 52 new. Um, you know, but it, it's one of those where, yeah, you can look at this in hindsight and go, well, you know, if we don't make that trade, which wasn't a great trade, but kind of understandable. Um, you know, and the, the Woods trade was, I think the Woods trade was terrible. Uh, but they, you know, they decided to do that one anyway. But, you know, you, you you factor those things in. But, I mean, the Julio Jones stuff, that was all known when she gave him the extension. So it, it's not like Julio Jones being wasted money is anything new. You know, is there a salary cap in a good position next year? No, it's not. Um, but again, that was known last year like it if all you have to do is go to OTC and click on a chart and very quickly you know look at the cap space and you know you would have seen before the season began that the Titans were not in a very good salary cap position um you know for 2023 you know they they wound up now they they're restructuring deals to to deal with their mess kind of well mess isn't the right word but um to deal with their situation this year but you know they they project to be about 16 million over the salary cap next season and that's before future signings and everything else so probably closer to 20 million uh it's the third worst salary cap position in the NFL but that was known pretty much going into the year you know did they do some other things yeah they you know they extended Landry and he got hurt okay it it happens um you know so it it the only football thing that it could really come down to is that brown contract that brown trade um you know and while I'm bringing up the the dollars of Jones and Woods and yeah that that obviously you you look at that and you're like man what what did we do what were we thinking that kind of stuff happens with these contracts a lot you know I I talk about that often I think on here where sometimes someone will be given an offer and the offer is not what they were expecting from that team and you kind of feel insulted even though that offer might be somewhat fair, um, you feel insulted by it and you know you, you end up walking away and you end up making less money somewhere else. Uh, the perfect example of that was Melvin Gordon, who you know was in that situation when he was in uh, uh, with the Chargers. I guess he, that was San Diego probably at the time, right? Uh, you know, and he was there and he felt like he should have been given, I think, an offer that was in that range of the Elliott style contracts of like $15 million a year. And Chargers pretty wisely were like, no, that that's not going to happen. But from what I understood, he was given an offer that was probably around 10 or 11. 
you know, something that was in that same realm that these other guys have all wound up signing for. Didn't want to do it. He ended up signing in Denver for $8 million a season, I think it was, on a two-year deal. And that's one of those things where I think you just kind of get put off by what the team is offering you. But those things also work both ways. You know, you can dig your heels in when you, you've got in your mind what the value is for a position, what the value is for a specific player. And then when that player is asking for more money, you know, and he was obviously looking for $23, $24 million a season, you're just like, you know, screw it. I'm going to trade you. And sometimes you don't think of maybe the different ways that the the money can work. Um, You know, when they made that trade for Jones, they made the trade for Jones knowing that A.J. Brown's contract was coming up. So... That wasn't really a change. The amount of money A.J. Brown was probably looking for and then the, the change that kind of happened within the market, um, you know, that was something maybe that the Titans didn't plan for. I, I didn't see that change coming. I don't know if anybody really did. I, I don't know if anybody saw the market kind of moving where it ended up going. You know, because e- even even Devontae Adams, even though his, his salary on a piece of paper is you know, 28 a year, he signed the contract that basically was going to be the equivalent of the Jones deal. Is 22.5. That That's what the real value is on that contract. Um, you know, and then you had the Tyree Kill thing and, you know, Brown after that and, you know, so on and so forth. Um, you know, but you, you, can, you can get stuck and you dig your heels in and I don't know what the number would have been you know, I know he's coming off and he was coming off an injury. Uh, you know, twenty ish. You know, under maybe just under twenty. Um, maybe was the the thinking. Maybe, maybe they were still in that eighteen range. But I just don't see how that is a fireable offense. I I just don't see it. You know, unless the the owner and the coach both went to him and said, "Do not do this," and he did it anyway. But even then, wouldn't you fire him right after the draft? Why would you wait 12 games in? I was talking to my friend about it a little bit and just mentioned, like, you know, maybe the NFL investigation into their uh, offensive coordinator's DUI, maybe there's something there. Maybe maybe they, they uncovered some rules Robinson's not following because it just doesn't, none of it makes sense. None of it does. Now, this is an interesting job that's going to open up next year. It's a real interesting job because this is a team that has a coach that's established that's going to be in there, and he's probably going to be calling the shots. So your power as a GM might be a bit compromised when you take this job. But you're also going to have to figure out a way to navigate, you know, kind of a bad cap situation. You're going to have to navigate your way out of the Bud Dupree contracts. You know, you're going to have to maneuver out of those, and you know, figure out how do you get back on the right path. Now you're probably going to have to cut someone like a Derrick Henry, who's pretty popular, but you know, time to go. You're going to have to make decisions on your quarterback. It's probably time to move on. But 
if the coach has that kind of power, he might not want to move on from those players. You know, it might might be a tougher sell. Um, so it, it's a it's kind of an interesting job, but it, it's almost like you gave a guy who's been relatively successful, you didn't even give him one chance to kind of climb out from it. And it's not like he hit the fall. It's not not like the Falcons who fell. It's not like the Bears, not that the Bears really had a peak like the Falcons did, but, you know, it's not like the Bears who fell. You know, most teams, you'll see the GM at least get an opportunity and fail at it. Here, he's gone. Just a just a strange, strange, strange turn of events in Tennessee. It's a team we don't talk about a lot. But it's a it's a really weird situation, and you know we'll have to see if um, maybe more people dig up some information as to to really what went on there because it it's just a strange one. So the the other thing I wanted to talk about tonight, and it's not really contract kind of stuff and you know that that was the same thing there but I, I was listening the other day to the uh, Super Sports podcast that they do um, I was actually able to tune in live so that was pretty good you, you should give him a follow Eric is uh, Eric's a good guy and I think he does a really good job with that stuff and you know you got Thomas Dimitrov on there so that gives you GM's perspective and they had uh, Jack Easterby um, from the Te- oh used to be from the Texans uh, was on there as well this week so they they were having some interesting discussions on there, and I know Eric's brought this up on Twitter a couple of times about the development of quarterbacks in the league, and just the development in general, I guess, of certain players. And you know, I, I've talked about this earlier this season with the the quarterback position and how it's kind of been pretty lousy. And as the season's gone on, it's just gotten worse and worse and worse. And you start to wonder, you know, is there a silver lining in this? Because the league right now is so heavily dependent on quarterbacks. And everything is based on that. And you just don't have the performers right now. It's it's not even, like, remotely close. I, I mean, you look at these teams... You know, you've got Kansas City, you've got Buffalo. You know, you you have Baltimore and Philadelphia. Both very different, well, they're, you know, different styles than what you would assume, um, you know, to to kind of be like, you know, that traditional quarterback. So, you know, it might work out terrific. Um, Might not as, you know, it also might not. Um, You know, you got the Rams who are a disaster. Even if we take Stafford into account, um, you know, he looks like he might be done. You know, you've got the resurgence of Geno Smith. You have whatever mess there is in San Francisco. You have the mess in New Orleans, the messes in Carolina, um, mess of the Falcons, a ancient Tom Brady. Um, you got the Bears trying to develop Justin Fields. You have Rodgers tripping over his own feet. You got Jared Goff. Kirk Cousins, you know, Washington, you got Daniel Jones with the Giants, you know, Prescott's okay, Russell Wilson looks shot, Derek Carr is done, uh, Herbert looks like he's probably going to be a player, 
Houston, that's kind of funny. Colts, they're just amusing. Uh, Titans, you know, Tannehill's probably on his last legs. Jacksonville, you know, Lawrence has shown some stuff. that, that It's still not all clicking there, um, but at least he's showing something. Pittsburgh, who knows? Cleveland, I, I think Watson hasn't played in so long. You go with the who knows. Uh, Burrow, he looks like he's probably established himself. Um, New England, there's really nothing there. Jets, well, you know, Mike White obviously is going to the Hall of Fame, but, you know, beyond that, there's really nothing there. Wilson looks atrocious. And then you got Tua in Miami, who, you know, he, he's put up some good games this year. The way he plays, the way he throws the ball, I don't know if he's really long, uh, if he's going to have a long career, but. I mean, at least you can get by right now with him. But you just don't have that high level of play. It's just not even remotely there. And I don't know where it's going to come from. And that that's a big problem for the NFL. Now, it really is. And, you know, I, I, I always liken, you know, I, I liken this before um, to the mid-90s in the NFL. The mid-90s in the NFL... It was not a good period for, um, you know, really for quarterback play. But the league was a lot different back then. You know, that that's that's one of the things. Um, you know, the, the NFL at the time was still pretty run dependent. You know, your defense first, uh, running game first. And if you happen to have a terrific quarterback... Um, you know, all the better for you, you know, but when you didn't, you usually had other things that you could fall back on that, you know, made your team, you know, kind of play acceptable, kind of made your team play at a, you know, at a passable level. For the most part, you know, the, the league was almost solely based, at, at least in my mind, was almost solely based on, Dallas and San Francisco for like a period of three or four years. Um, you know, and then you threw maybe Green Bay into the mix and whatever else. But, you know, you, you look, I, I just pulled up a random season here. Here were your yardage leaders in 1995. So you had Brett Favre, followed by Scott Mitchell, 39-year-old Warren Moon, Jeff George, 35-year-old John Elway, Jim Everett, he was 32 then. Eric Kramer, Jeff Blake at number eight. This is uh, one of his seasons. He probably made the Pro Bowl that year. Uh, fading Dan Marino, Dave Craig, Drew Bledsoe. Uh, he was like your... That, was that his rookie? No, that wasn't his rookie year, was it? 95? That was his third year probably, right? He was 93? Yeah, that's his third year. Uh, but at least he was, you know, he was super young. Um, Stan Humphreys, Aikman, who by 95 was getting pretty old. Steve Young, Jim Kelly, Steve Bono, Neil O'Donnell, Vinny Testaverde, Dave Brown, Trent Dilfer. I mean, this is a bad list. And that's what the league had to get through during that period. But... You at least had other ways to to kind of make your game exciting, and you know, one of the things in that era, you know, just looking back, 
it's not like you had a bunch of high draft picks, right? So going back to 1990, you had Jeff George and Andre Ware. Um, Ware might have been, was he a second rounder? Maybe he was a first rounder, right? Let me just make sure I got first rounders popped up here. Yeah, all right. Let me uh, let me run back to that there. Um, then you've got Dan McGuire and Todd Marinovich, Dave Klingler, Tommy Maddox, Drew Bledsoe, Rick Meyer, Heath Schuler, Trent Dilfer, Steve McNair, and Kerry Collins. Nothing in '96. Jim Drunkenmiller in '97. And then, you know, then you start what is more the modern age, which is the Peyton Manning in 98. And really, this is, in my mind, this is what saves the league. You've got Peyton Manning in 98. You got McNabb in 99. You've got Culpepper in 99. Um, you know, in 2000, obviously, you know, Brady comes out of that draft, but I'm just looking kind of at the, you know, the, the higher players there you got Michael Vick in 2001 you have Drew Brees that same year you know he he would have you know where his pick number falls into his second round pick but that would have fallen into the first round 2002 you had David Carr who was a bust you had Carson Palmer who had a solid career in 2003 along with Lefwich and Bowler and Grossman they were all busts you had 2004 which was great for the league with Manning Rivers and Roethlisberger then you had Aaron Rodgers, and then you had Alex Smith. Uh, Jason Campbell was also in 2005. Uh, Vince Young, Matt Leiner, and Jay Cutler in 2006. Uh, the comedy of Jamarcus Russell and Brady Quinn in 07. You have Matt Ryan and Flacco in 8. Stafford in 9. Um, Sanchez was also that year. A Freeman as well. And then in 2010, you had Bradford and <laughs> Tebow. Um you know, but you you had these players, really players that were drafted between '98 and 2005, that really salvaged the league. You got, and there there's some other players beyond that, but I mean, you got basically over a decade of greatness or close to it out of those players, and those players came into the league at the same time with rules changing, and. Between the changing rules, younger offensive coordinators that were getting more innovative with their offenses, um, you know, and the disasters of the Sean Alexanders and the Curtis Martins and Clinton Portises and, you know, all these really bad running back deals, you, you started to see teams completely move away from that concept of football and into something totally different. And... I think for a long period of time, that innovation um, was able to to bring out the best in a lot of quarterbacks. So not only did you have talented guys, but you had other guys, and that's not to say guys aren't talented, but you had other players who seemed to play well enough in you know some of those offenses, whether it was a... Um, you know, a Matt Schaub who gets a lot of grief because of what happened at the end. You know, Matt Schaub had a couple of more than passable years with Houston. You know, the wheels came off when the he got that one salary raise. But before that, you know, he was a solid enough quarterback. 
You know, and you you had other guys like that. You know, Tony Romo obviously had a terrific career. And, you know, you, you just wonder... I don't think that innovation is there anymore with the offenses, right? It, all of that kind of took place, I feel like, during that period of time. And now you're kind of in a, a state where everybody is used to it. And everybody is kind of trying to run a lot of the same stuff. Which makes sense, you know, on a piece of paper. Um, really more than just on a piece of paper. It's obviously much more effective and efficient to pass the football. But... When you have really bad players, sometimes that doesn't work. And trying to sustain drives with really bad quarterbacks, um, you know, is very difficult to do. And, you know, when I look back at those quarterbacks in the 90s, you know, the thing that stood out to me is you didn't have a lot of players that were taken necessarily very high. You know, there were a couple here and a couple there. But, you know, nowadays, that's not what you have in the draft. So since the new CBA came, you know, you had Cam Newton, you had Jake Locker, you had Blaine Gabbert, Christian Ponder in 2011. Um, You know, and there's also guys in the second round, but just looking at first rounders, you had Andrew Luck, Robert Griffin, Ryan Tannehill, and Brandon Whedon in 2012. 2013 was the dud year with Manuel. 2014, you had Bortles, Manziel, and Bridgewater. 15, you had Winston and Mariota. 16, you had Goff, Wentz, and Paxton Lynch. 17, Trubisky, Mahomes, Watson. 18, Mayfield, Darnold, Allen, Rosen, Jackson. 2019, Murray, Jones, Haskins. Uh, 2020, uh, Burrow, Tua, Herbert, uh, and Love. Lawrence, Wilson, Lance, Fields, and Mac Jones in 2021. And this year was just the one player in Kenny Pickett. And it's like, you look at this. This isn't like the 90s where it's just a player here, a player there. This is multiple first-round guys coming in the league and basically flopping. And we have changed a lot, I think, in the in the way that we view the position. And this is one of the points, I think, that was being made there. You know, it used to be that you took time trying to develop these players. Partially, that's because the contracts forced you to do it. Whereas now, the contracts don't force you to do it. You know, the contracts allow you to very quickly move on from the players. You know, they're basically paid backup level salary. So, you know, in the old CBA you basically came in the league and you were probably going to make top 10 money if you were the first pick. Now you're like a high level backup if you're the top pick. That's the way your salary is. And, you know, we're also much quicker to pull the trigger, I think, on our general managers and coaches to where maybe they can't waste the time trying to figure out how to get these players to work. And, you know, the other thing, too, is that I think the money, while obviously the the money in the old CBA, um, you know, was bigger for those top couple of picks versus what it is now, it's still a lot of money. And, you know, you, you wonder sometimes, too, how motivated some of the players are to, 
you know, stick around the league playing the way that Geno Smith did for the league minimum and just hanging out and, you know, waiting for an opportunity. Um, you know, and right now, having a quarterback-reliant league and quarterback-reliant offenses with really bad quarterbacks, you know, it, it's, just a, it's just a bad look for the NFL. But the question is, you know, how do you fix it? How, how do you find a way to move on, you know, from there? And one of the things, and this was some other topics that were brought up, but they, they were bringing up things about New England and how New England kind of at their peak um, when they were, you know, building their rosters out and they were drafting players and they would look for guys in the middle rounds or late rounds and it wasn't so much looking for like, the hidden superstar or the guy who fell in the draft and you feel like you're getting great value, it was more along the lines of like, okay, what are the three things this guy does really well? And does that fit with the things that we do? Or, you know, is there something that we can do to, to utilize those things that he does really well? And I, I wonder if... You know, if you apply that same concept to some of the younger quarterbacks in the league, you know, is that something that we don't do enough of? Like, you get so focused on the offense that you're running, um, so focused on the way that you envision the offense running as if you had Josh Allen, as if you had Patrick Mahomes, do we end up doing a disservice by not accentuating the things that maybe the player does positive, but instead just trying to make him run your offense, make him run this offense. And, you know, one of the things that I said with the Jets with Zach Wilson early in the season was they didn't even look like they were trying with him. And I think they knew he was that bad. You know, they were just trying to hide him. And maybe there's nothing you can do with a player like that. When a player is that bad, um, you know, there's probably not much you can do. But, you know, you, you look at the Bears with Justin Fields, right? Justin Fields struggled early in the season. Then at some point, kind of the light went off, and they changed their offense around. And, you know, you, you made it to where he had a lot more freedom to run around. He had a lot more freedom to move. Um, you know, obviously to run with the football or to try to make passes when he is, you know, on the run. And while the team is probably going to end up, you know, with the second or third pick in the draft, the quarterback at least looks like he's decent. You look at two in Miami, right? They try to accentuate some of the things that he does well, and they brought in players that you know, can hopefully elevate his game. Because I think when you look at a, a quarterback like Tua, and probably many of these quarterbacks in the league right now, I don't know if they're capable of elevating necessarily the players around them. But maybe they're talented enough if you bring in the right players to where you can do something with them. But it, it's almost like we've just kind of... I don't know, just miss something here with it. 
And I, I don't know if it's, you know, sometimes you got to dial it back. Like, you look at the Giants right now. They very clearly see Daniel Jones's limitations, right? I mean, it is just a... He is not running the Josh Allen offense, um, you know, with New York. Maybe he's running Josh Allen's rookie offense. I don't know. But, uh, you know, they're doing something very different. Um, you know, but you, you look like Buffalo. Like Buffalo with Josh Allen. They They did some stuff to try to bring him along, do the things he did well, and then one day it all just happened to click for him. But most of our de- development doesn't really work that way. And then as a league, we just spit the players out. As fans, we do it. You just are like, yeah, they're a lost cause and just move on. And, you know, you, you end up with like these no-name guys playing quarterback. And they're guys that are, in theory, should be harder to develop based on where they were drafted and based on the skills that they have and everything else. Um, but you almost feel like this is all part of it. Like maybe there's times where you got to dumb some stuff down and be a little bit more flexible with the way, you know, you're kind of running stuff to maybe try to bring some of these guys along. And then it is maybe about investing more in the position. You know, if I'm saying that if I'm Zach Wilson and again, he, he might be the unsalvageable guy. But if I'm Zach Wilson, you know, and I, I'm making how much a year with the Jets? Let's see. Wilson, as the second pick in the draft, is making $8.9 million a year. You know, is what he's going to average out at. In his last year in the league, he's going to make uh, 5 5. Last year with the Jets. Uh, I'm pretty sure they're not going to be picking up his option. But you know what? If you look at a player like that and you think you can salvage something with there, you know maybe that is the player. Even though you would say to yourself, "Well, you know, look at Winston, look at Mariota, look at this guy, look at this guy," you know, there's no reason to give him a, a reasonable contract. You know, look at Trubisky, look at look at all these players. Um, you know, I'm just going to offer him the minimum, and if he doesn't want it, well, screw him. He won't have a job in the league. You know. Players like this, you might have to look at this and say, okay, we're going to offer him 7-5, we're going to offer him 8, and even though that that's a lot of money to pay for a backup who might stink, um, you know, it, it's maybe a backup you can develop. And it's something where you have to look at it as an investment over a period of time versus what we do now, which is the backup quarterback just becomes a one-year thing. You know, it's like a one-year contract, or maybe in some cases a two-year contract. Um, you know, but mainly it's it's not a long term. So I mean, right now, if you once you get past the top level, so let's let's drop down to sub ten. So you got Mariota signed for two years. You've got Trubisky at two years at seven five. You got Bridgewater for a year at six five. Taylor Tyrod Taylor for two years at five five. But you know he's not a developmental player anymore. Um, Mason Rudolph for a year. Jacoby Brissett for a year. Case Keenum for a year, Geno Smith for a year, Flacco, uh, Flacco, old, 
Um, Dalton's old too. You know, Mike White's an RFA. Kyle Allen a year. Um, Blaine Gabbard a year. Chad Henney, he's been around forever, a year. Nick Mullins a year. Uh, Chase Daniel a year. Brandon Allen a year. Josh Johnson, it just got signed. Um, you know, Cooper Rush, Nathan Peterman, you know, it, it's all one year stuff. And, you know, when you have guys signed on these one year deals for the minimum, there's going to be a lot of turnover. You know, you're just going to decide that one day, you know, all right, Cooper Rush is my backup right now. Uh, you know, next year I'm going to go sign Drew Locke. You know, he'll be my backup next year. And then the year after that, um, you know, it'll be Blaine Gabbert. You know, whatever. Um, you know, it's like putting in the random number generator and coming back with something. I forgot Colt McCoy had a two-year deal uh, for $3.25 million. So, you know, you, you look at these numbers and all these back backup salaries here. Um, you know, now Mariota's a starter, was a starter. Um you know, your your backups here, Bridgewater is your high-level backup at 6'5". Maybe Garoppolo at 7 would have been considered your highest-level backup that got signed. You know, Trubisky was signed with a chance to start. Um, you know, so your highest salaries are like 5'5", five, 6'5". Five, five. But when you look at what the salaries are for some of these players in the top 10, I, I think you have to, to look a little bit more. And at the same time... I think those players probably need to be a little bit reasonable about their expectations. And I know that you're always like, well, you know, if if I do hit it big, I don't want to be locked in on that three-year contract. I get that. But you need that opportunity. And you need it to be financially rewarding enough to want to continue your NFL career. So I, I kind of think that's something different that teams should be looking at is investing more in that position you know, if you're not going to do it via the draft, you know, look at these guys who have busted from another team that you think you can do something with. Again, it's looking at a couple of things they do well and trying to develop them, you know, accentuating those couple of things they do well and then, you know, building your team kind of around that, um, you know, in the event that they were to start. You know, Tom Brady at the beginning of his uh, New England career, you know, Tom Brady was not the great Tom Brady. Tom Brady was a late round draft pick that the the Patriots were, you know, trying to win games with 17-13. Yeah, that, that that was the the Patriot way from like 2001 to 2003. You know, they they were they were taking him along slowly, but they felt they could do just as good of a job you know, with him, who was dirt cheap compared to Bledsoe, who was probably the highest paid quarterback in the league at the time. You know, the other thing that was brought up that in that discussion that they had, which was also kind of interesting too, was where you talked about the things you could control and you can't control. Uh, I think the the word that he was using a lot was a, uh, you know, it's a fixed asset, you know, kind of thing. Um, maybe a little too much fixed asset talk in there, but, um, you know, it, it, it's true. You know, what do you control? 
And again, circling back to the development of quarterbacks that were kind of in that old CBA era, which was not just first-round picks, but some of these other guys that you're getting to look at. And you know, I brought up this question during their show, and they kind of talked about it a little bit. But you know, what it, what has really gone on, you know, since 2011 is that they've eliminated a lot of the stuff that really got guys noticed. You know, your your OTAs are diminished, right? It, it's not the same kind of work that you used to get before. And there's not as much of an incentive for guys to show up. And in some cases, even when a player has a monster workout bonus, they're still missing their off-season program. You know, in the past, those were areas where you could stand out. You know, if you if you were a guy, this doesn't mean just quarterbacks. You know, if you're a player and, you know, you're a low-level guy signing a futures deal, you know, you were undrafted the year before, but they're inviting you back. Your chance, to, your first chance to stand out and to really interact with the, the staff and everything is during those OTAs. But now that is so dropped down that I don't know if you have that same opportunity, you know, in April and May, you know, really before those draft picks get in there and the coaching staff gets infatuated with the youngest draft picks, you know, you had that chance for two to three months to impress them. But now the work is so much more limited. It's like you don't have that opportunity. You know, that, that opportunity isn't the same. And then you, when you get into training camp, you know, the two-a-days are gone. You don't have preseason games anymore. And you, you don't run anything in the preseason for the most part to even evaluate anything. You're just throwing guys out there to get through the games. So if you're, your coaches are trying to prepare your starters, you know, they're, if they're focused on those top 25 to 30 guys on a roster and getting them prepared for the season, what are you really looking at with these other guys, you know, that are competing for positions on your team? It, it, it's a major change from before. And I, I understand why the league was more than happy to give that up to the Players Association. It doesn't cost them any money. But that's your major development tool. You know, as a Jets fan, you know, I remember like a Danny Woodhead making the team. A Danny Woodhead probably would have no opportunity to make an NFL team right now. It would be a long shot. You know, you'd have a very hard time doing it. And that's something that is under the control of teams Maybe you have to modify your approach to find out some ways that you can develop certain players, especially at these very important positions, especially at quarterback, um, you know, where they do drive a lot of the success. You know, and the, the other thing, and the, this is a quarterback thing, and I, I'd have to see how many teams really do this, but I, I was thinking about this a little bit with Wilson you know, how, how often do some of these teams, instead of, you know, trying to coach them up and work with them, it, it, it's almost like you throw them a safety blanket, right? 
You know, the, the Jets, you know, they, they hired last year Wilson's quarterback coach. Um, you know, uh, John Beck, who, you know, I guess runs like the quarterback camps or whatever. And it, it's almost like you, you've got this quarterback with really bad habits. What are you bringing in him for to be like the quarterback coach for him? And, you know, that that kind of stuff, if it goes on more and more in the league, like, it doesn't make sense. Like, you've got the, you should, in theory, have the top staffs in the world, the, the top coaching and, you know, everything else. And you should be looking to elevate a player from his, um, you know, off-season work that he does on his own. Uh, or what he did in his collegiate career. Uh, you know, I don't think Beck was a, a coach at all with um, the staff, uh, you know, at the in college. But, you know, don't, don't create that safe haven either. It's like you, you should, you know, be utilizing the, the tools that you have rather than bringing guys in just to give them a safety net. And I, I understand it's a, it's a tough position. It's a tough job. But it's almost like that safety net can hinder, I think, the development of the players. So anyway, I just thought it was a really interesting discussion that they were having on that show. And I, I think it's just really important for the, the overall status of the league for teams to either get a, a better idea of how to develop players, quarterbacks in particular, you know, how to develop them how to keep them in the league beyond their rookie deals. You know, even if they're a bust, you know, how how do you get to that point where you can find a a Alex Smith? A guy who takes 8 million years to turn into a, you know, decent NFL quarterback. You know, where do you find that type of player? You know, how do, how do you create that? Um you know, out of today's NFL? How, how do you make that happen? Because otherwise, I think the league is going to struggle. I don't think there's any more rules changes that you can have that are going to open it up more for the offense that, you know, somehow makes it even easier um, for the offenses to, to try to move the football. You know, I, I don't think that's going to happen. You know, that, that, was, that was something that happened almost 20 years ago now. Um, but you know, I, I don't think that's going to happen again. So you, you've got to, you got to look and see, you know, what are the ways that I think you can move forward, um, you know, with some of these players and some of it probably is financial. It, it is probably offering money that makes sense for people to keep kind of going on with their careers rather than what we do now, which is just throw the guys a bone when they've already made millions of dollars and expect them to want to keep playing football, just not going to happen. You know, and I, I think that's a, that's a big miss um, from the league as well. All right, let's take a look at Twitter questions and then we'll wrap this up. Baba, how should a team navigate hiring Sean Payton as they would uh, be in breach of the Rooney rule? Um, you know, I, I know the way teams do it. You know, you, you just have a list of a guy that you're bringing in and you're just like, hey, you, you want to have an interview? And, uh, 
you know, you, you, you kind of know going into it that it's a sham interview. And I, I understand why people get upset with that. There are certain coaches in the league, Peyton would be one of them, that the track record is such that I I, I don't think that, um, you know, that having to enforce that rule actually benefits anybody. Um, you know, it, it doesn't benefit someone to come in to just be an interview to be an interview. Uh, it doesn't benefit the teams have to waste the time to do that. And, you know, the, the coaches themselves are so established. It's like, obviously he's too old now, but it's like, if you want to hire Bill Parcells, you're going to hire Bill Parcells. It's like, you, you don't need to go through this whole thing. Now, when you're hiring a guy who's never had a job, like a head coaching job before, I, I get it. This, it's like you feel, it, it's, it sucks, I think, for the guy who comes in and basically is just being the interview for a, a, a job that's already a done deal. Now, the only thing that I don't know, because I'm not familiar enough with um, with the way this stuff works, but the Saints, I, I believe, still have his rights, um, you know, for as long as they want to retain his rights, since he's the one that breached this contract. If you trade for a coach, I don't know if you have to go through that whole process because that that's a different situation, maybe. Um, but I don't know. It, it's like, I, it's hard to define someone who's a, a no-brainer choice at head coach, you know, to, to escape, um, you know, to go around the Rooney rule, but... Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, but I, at the same time, I, I don't think anyone really would have any problems with Sean Payton just being hired. But I I understand it with, you know, most other stuff. Dave, someone reported the Cardinals received calls about DeAndre Hopkins at the deadline. What do you think would be fair trade compensation for this offseason? Two years, roughly $34 million left on his deal. So I mentioned him before. Uh... You know, it would make sense in my mind for them to trade him. Like, it really doesn't make sense for him to be in Arizona. Now, one of the, the things is he does have a no-trade clause. But I, I I think you should be able to get a first-round pick for him. Um, you know, if not a one, then two twos. But, you know, I, I think that's what you need. And this is a great time to trade him because he's played better, um, you know, this year than he did last year. His value probably won't be higher because next year he's probably going to drop down and, you know, his, his value is going to drop with that. Uh, David, any observations on the Carson Wentz contract? Can the commanders get out of it at the end of the season without too much dead money? Uh, I forgot. I don't even pay attention to Carson Wentz anymore. <laughs> um, let me see if they have, if they ended up doing anything with this deal. I don't think they did. Yeah, no, they're, they're free and clear. So they, they didn't restructure his contract. So um, so they can cut him next season with zero cap charges. Uh, the only thing they have to be worried about is he has $4 million that becomes guaranteed on the 
third day of the league year, looks like. Um, so that that's the only thing they have to uh, really be concerned with, is just making sure he's healthy so that number doesn't become guaranteed. Small baller, how has the Hill trade positively impacted the Chiefs' cap situation now and for the next few years? Seems like they have among the most rookie snaps in the NFL and have more picks again next year. Cheap first uh, cheap first contract talent as Mahomes' cap hits arrive. So, yeah, I think what you said in that last sentence really hits on it. Um, you know, you, you didn't take a step back on offense. You know, you, your offense is different. Um, you know, different look, different personnel but your offense is still pretty much as efficient as anybody else's in the league it's in fact it's the best offense in the league so do you have that ability to hit the home run no but the quarterback is so good that you have that ability to do whatever sustained drives that you need to basically replicate the ultimate impact of someone like hill which is you know a touchdown you know, or a big play or whatever it is, a uh, series to set up a score. So, you know, it, it's it's helped him out a lot um, in that manner. You know, it, it's hard to say exactly how much because, you know, contracts or the, the way you can structure them is very different. But, I mean, for the most part, you're looking at a deal that averages about $25 million a year. So... You know that just just as a baseline, I mean, it's giving you an extra twenty five a year to spend. Uh, the Chiefs don't typically have a big budget; they're among the lower spenders in the league. So, if you're among the lower spenders, it's very hard for you to have the highest priced wide receiver. And well, he's not the highest priced quarterback anymore, but you know, one of the top paid quarterbacks in the league. It, it's really gonna to to you know put some clamps on you with what you do, even if you can make the cap numbers work. So, you know, I'm just looking to see where they're at. You know, they're about $5 million in cap space this year. Um, they may have been a little less than that if they did that deal. You know, next year they're at about $28 million in cap room. Uh, they'd probably be... If he was on the team, I, I would guess they'd probably be around $10 million. You, know, you look at 2024, um, you know, teams don't operate on the, the even these three-year windows anymore. Um, you know, but again, you'd probably be pulling off like $28 million off that by the time you hit that. So I think it gives them great flexibility. It gives them, you know, um, just more of a path to move forward. And, you know, it, it is an example, I think, of a, a win-win trade because... Mahomes, to me, you know, he's he's the best quarterback in the league right now. Um, Josh Allen makes some throws that are just jaw dropping, uh, but I, I think you know when when you look at somebody playing, um, you know, every snap of the game, Mahomes is the guy. And when you have a quarterback like that, you have to believe that he's going to elevate the players around him. So even if it's not a singular player, even if it's not that, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster is going to somehow be 1,200-yard player and Valdez-Scantling is going to be a 1,300-yard player and Kelsey is going to get his 1,000 yards, 
you know, he's spreading the ball around. You know, guys are going to produce, um, even if it's not at an ultra-high level, you know, the overall offensive production is solid. And, you know, you you have a player like that, you've got to trust him to be able to do that with his receivers. In Miami, I don't believe that two is having the season that he would have if your starting receivers are Cedric Wilson and um, Jalen Waddell. You know, I, I don't think he would have that same impact. You know, I, I think this is a situation where the receiver did in fact lift the play of the quarterback and you know maybe two eventually develops into something more like a Mahomes type I would think that's a long shot but you know it fit what they needed to do in Miami uh Neil have the Wentz and Goff deals put uh paid to teams wanting to extend quarterbacks after three years, or do you think the Dolphins and Chargers might go for extensions this offseason? I'm assuming the Bengals will. Um, I don't I, I don't think it's put the teams off. Um, you know, I, I've looked at this before, and, you know, you, you look at Kyler Murray as an example. Like, there's just no consideration. I mean, e- even if you look at some of the veteran deals... You know, like Russell Wilson, like there was no, there's no patience. Um, I, I get that the Dak Prescott deal ended up being a lot more expensive than Dallas would have anticipated, than anyone would have anticipated, because of some changing market dynamics. But at the same time, you know, for the most part, the market for quarterbacks is pretty predictable. So. I mean, if you wait a year, it's not the end of the world. And even if you, even if you do, all right. Let let's say you waited a year to to do the deal. Let let's use Kyler Murray as an example. How much more would the market move? You know, in that period of time. So you're looking at a player who got signed for forty six one. And Russell Wilson hit 49. So let, let's say that would have been independent. So let, let's even say that the market hits 55. I'll just throw it out there. It seems crazy, but let, let's say the market would hit 55. So you, you'd be locking in your costs right now by doing your extension today, um, you know, at 46. So you're saving about $9 million a season. But at the same time, you're handing over to Murray basically $160 million in guaranteed salary. You know, he's got 103 guaranteed at signing, but the way his contract works and the way all the quarterback contracts work is you get these early vesting dates. So, you know, these injury guarantees for the most part are full guarantees. So you're taking on $160 million in risk you know, it's a, it, it should be less than that. You know, whatever he had under contract already, you'd probably subtract that of that. Um, how much? I, I don't know how much that was off the top of my head. Maybe 30? Let's see. Let me look at Murray's old money. 34. So you're taking on about $130 million in risk. 
And, you know, your reward on that is, you know, give or take a little bit, you know, let's say 45. And that that's a, that's a crazy situation that I'm bringing up. I would say more likely it's the difference between 46 and 50. You know, so 4 million a year over five years. So basically you're saving yourself a potential of 20 at a risk of like 130. So, you know, I, I, I think teams should hold off. I think teams should be, um, you know, a little bit stronger with what they do with the quarterbacks versus just kind of caving in. But I don't. Know, I don't think that. I don't think that the the league as a whole is put off by it. Um, my assumption is the Chargers would extend. I think the Bengals will extend. Um, I think the Dolphins might be cautious, but I'm not positive on that. All right, uh, Captain Buccaneer, Lions sign DJ Chark to a one year, ten million dollar deal with two voids. What happens if they resign him? So if uh, if they resign him, those uh, prorated numbers will stay in place. So right now, the way that we do it, the way that the way that I put them online is to um, reflect what is most of these contracts do end up voiding. So um, to reflect it, what you'll see is that there's a uh, 2.98 million in prorated money in 2023, another 2.98 in 2024. But I have his cap figure. Li- uh, down next year's 5.97 and that's representative of the deal voiding so really what you have here is if you were to extend him the prorated number which i have down there at 597 would actually reduce to 298 it would just stay in place so it would be whatever salary that you paid him next year over that 298 but you have to do it before the contract voids so in his case, his contract voids um, five days after the Super Bowl. So you you basically have to hammer out an extension January or early February to keep those numbers from um, accelerating onto the cap. Because once the contract voids, that acceleration um, happens and that 5-9 becomes a fixed cost. What does a Juju and a Miko Harmon extension look like? Which one should the Chiefs prioritize? Um, I think they'll keep Juju. I, I think Hardman is gone. I, I don't see what the benefit would be to bring him back. Um, I think with Smith-Schuster, I think it's... Again, it, it's like, what's a fair value? Um, you know, he, he's played pretty well for him. Let me just... Let's take a look here. So they signed him for 3-7 with upside that would bring it up to around 11. And he's going to hit most of his, his incentives. Um, you know, 40, 50, 65 receptions, uh, 900 receiving yards, 65% playtime, Pro Bowl, um, and then some playoff escalators and stuff. I would probably look at it and be like, you know, we, we gave you a max of 11. Um, I'd offer him somewhere in that same category, you know, with that group of receivers that are between like 10 and 13 a year. I I think that's probably a, um, you know, reasonable number. And I think anything above that is probably too much. 
General observation. This is from Jason. Uh, big money tied up in Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson. Now Matt Stafford's at risk if he can't play due to medical. Assumes the uh, Rams cap is crushed. How does that work? Will these three scare teams from offering big long-term deals? Um, now, these, I think, might have more of an impact. Uh, I think the fear of the young quarterback is very high. Um, of alienating the young quarterback, of having to deal with a contract issue, um, you know, potentially losing him to another team. But I think with the old players, I, I think if you take a step back and you look at these situations, there was no reason for the Packers to have done what they did with Aaron Rodgers. There was no reason for the Broncos to do what they did with Russell Wilson. Um, Stafford, you know, you can argue that one. Um, that that one to me is a little bit more of a, you know, realistic argument that you can make. But yeah, I, I think as you look at these older players, you know, right now that there's too much being blinded by the fact that Tom Brady still plays pretty well and he's in his mid forties. Um, you know, th- there's too much where we look at that and we're just like, no, th- these guys will be great. And, you know, even with the Rogers who's what? 38, 39, you know, he's coming off an MVP season and you're like, Oh, well, Rogers definitely falls in that Brady category. And it's like Peyton Manning had an MVP season and he was shot year and a half later, half a year later, um, whatever it was, you know, you just you can't put that faith in you know the body to hold up and the player to continue to play at a high level so i do think these deals will have maybe a little bit more impact on the league when we get that next generation of older quarterbacks looking to sign extensions Uh, Pat says, what's the Dolphins situation looking like, assuming they're paying uh, Waddle in two of this offseason? Um, you know, y- you can manipulate the cap stuff, so it's not really going to hurt you in the short term. Um, let me see where Dolphins are at for next year with their cap. You know, they're right now... If you factor in rookies, I mean, they're, they're like 15 over. Um, just in general, they're about three over. But, you know, they, there's guys who are probably going to go. Um, you know, you'll save some money there. Uh, to his salary next year is 9-6. They could probably keep that number pretty close to there, you know, um, on an extension. Um, Waddle, he hasn't been in the league long enough to get an extension yet. So they, they don't have to pay him this year. You know, they're, I think a lot of what they, they looked at when they did even that, you know, when they did that Hill trade um, was the way that you can kind of stagger the stuff. So, you know, Hill's going to get his money this year and next year. And let's assume Waddle signs a pretty big extension. You're only going to have those two deals overlap at the most for a year. And I, I think, 
the way you can manipulate the cap hits to where Waddle's deal would be low in that first year, you know, other than your your own budgetary concerns, cap-wise, he's still going to be, like, at a rookie cap number level um, while Hill is going to be phased out because he's on that massive cap hit. And that's a, that's assuming that he gets to that year. Um, you know, the way things look this year certainly would be the case. But, yeah, they, they should be okay. I, I don't, you know, having having a quarterback and a wide receiver on a rookie contract, you can easily deal with, like, those Tyreek Hill deals because of the way that you structure everything, um, you know, and how it would, how it would work. Uh, let's see, Aaron, what would be the Giants record if you switched the skill guys in the O-line with the Philadelphia Eagles? Uh, what's the Giants record right now? Seven, five, and one? I know they got a tie in there. Seven, four, and one. Um, probably be seven, four, and one. (laughs) Um, you know, Daniel Jones is a limiting factor. Uh, you know, I, I... I don't anticipate, um, you know, a lot would change just because they they got like a much better group of receivers. Uh, I think the the quarterback is um, at the moment kind of limited in what you can and can't do. Um, you know, Barkley still gets his big plays. I mean, maybe if you had a better O line. Um, you know, maybe you would anticipate that that stuff might sustain longer, uh, because who knows how things will go this, um, you know, the last couple of weeks. Uh, and if you had a better O line, you would say, "No, he's definitely going to be effective." Um, but otherwise, you know, that'd be about uh, that'd be about it. I, I think they're just too limited with stuff. And you know, right now they've gotten a lot of um, yeah, a lot of wins that are kind of surprising wins. So even if you upped the skill level on the team, I, I don't think you're turning losses into wins, other than maybe the Washington game. So, all right, maybe they'd be eight and four instead of seven, four and one. Um, you know that that's I, I don't I I just don't think they'd be much better. Seth, the Grant Wall story. I don't really have one. Um, you know the. It, tragic um and hopefully it's something they look into and see if this is legitimately a natural death um but you know i i don't really follow soccer at all um you know you you read the stories that all these people have been saying about him you know um nice guy wonderful guy you know the only thing i really knew about him was the the story um years ago on LeBron James. And I, I didn't even know that was him until people mentioned that um, today because I, I can remember that. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just it, when you look at what he was talking about, um, you know, these last couple days, you know, I, I would just say this is suspicious to say the least. And um I don't know if anyone, you know, you'll ever know the truth on it, but hopefully somebody at least looks into it. 
Uh, Daniel Jones to the Ravens, Lamar to the Panthers. Uh, no, I don't. I don't see that. Lamar will be a Raven, and Jones will probably be a Giant. Ted, uh, Cowboys offseason moves. What will be a reasonable restructure? Tyron Smith, restructure Zeke, get the boys uh, next year cap-wise. Probably still more money for the player than if released and signed by another team. Um, I would just get rid of Elliott. You know, maybe even Smith, too. Um, you know, I mean, if they, if they brought Elliott's... Let's see. I don't even know what you would pay Elliot next year. You know, I, I think if Elliot was a free agent, you know, he'd. I don't think he'd get anything. It's, I, I I don't think a, another team in the league would offer him a contract. Um, but again, where you get into that stuff that you talk about about insulting someone, um, you know, obviously you you have to offer something reasonable. Um, you know, if you, you want to get him to stick around. So at the moment, his cap hit next year is slated to be 16.72. He has a salary of 10.9. Uh, so let's say you'd cut off about 5 million of that. Um, you know, so I mean, I, I think that's pretty much your savings there. And, you know, that that's if he agrees to the pay cut. This might be one of those where he's like, I'm not taking a pay cut. You end up cutting the player, and then he ends up not finding a job. Um, you know, so I, I think that would be a fair number to offer. Uh, Smith, he get he's hurt so much at this point. I, I don't know how you can do more with that deal. Um, you got two years left. One is a you're you're not touching the deal. If he's gonna just let him play it out. If you're going to have him, you know, have him play it out, it would be pretty impressive. I mean, eight-year extension, uh, and he played the completion. But I'm, I'm not touching that. I'm not deferring money to 2024 for no good reason. Britt, what's the right thickness of pizza dough? Uh, I don't have an answer for that, especially since I'm low-carbing right now, right? Uh, what kind of contract are we looking at for Quinn and Williams? Um, I would guess right now, I, I would imagine the target is going to be at least 22 a year. Um, Leonard Williams, I think, is at 21. So I, I would guess it's going to be to certainly surpass that. And then you've got a big argument that could be made that, you know, the market dynamics change with Aaron Donald getting over 30. Um, you know, that's a terrible decision by the Rams. Not that, not that there's anything wrong with Donald you know he's a great player but you know they got railroaded into that contract um you know but uh you know Leonard Williams is 21 a season so I would think the lowest that you would settle for at this point if you're Quinton Williams is 21 uh I mean 22 I don't know if the Jets will or will not offer it but you know it's a pretty big deal based on the season he's had this year Brian, do you have a sense of what the Rams are going to do this offseason? They're going to be able to actually improve for next year? Time to throw in the towel. Um, they'll probably make some minor moves, and I think they're just going to hope that they're healthy next year. 
Rodlop, uh, what do you think of the Jets cap situation going forward? And what is your overall outlook for them going forward? Been reading your stuff since Jets cap. Oh, pretty cool. Um, so this goes way back. Uh, so, you know, the Jets cap is not great for next year, but it's flexible because you're going to be able to move on from Corey Davis. You're probably going to move on from Carl Lawson. Um, you know, maybe you'll trade a guy or something here and there. So I, I think the Jets' cap position will probably end up being in the low average portion of the league um, with some with a couple of moves that I, I know some people like Lawson and he's probably going to you know have a sack number that's kind of high. But you know I, I I think when you you look at the big picture, um, I think that's fine if they they move on from him. Um, I mean, they, they can lower his numbers, too, with an extension. But I, I would think move on is what you'd be doing. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I, I can't... I don't really have a overall outlook for him. You know, let, let, let's see what we've got with Mike White over these next couple of games. Let's see if, you know, he's a possibility for next year or not. Uh, I think the Jets have two great draft picks from this year. And after that, I don't think there's a lot sustainable um, from what they've done this year. You know, the defense, how the defense has played, you know, getting this this plum draw quarterbacks, that's not going to happen next year. Uh, Quinn Williams will likely never have another season like this in his life. Um you know, John Franklin Myers will probably decline some. You know, it, you're not going to get great play out of two corners in the same year and good play out of your third corner. It's just those things don't happen in the league. And, you know, even if you want to say, well, you know, not my team, you know, just like we do with the running backs, it happens to everybody. So when you're that limited at quarterback, and so that's what I'm saying, let's see what we've got with Mike White. When you're that limited at quarterback, you know, if Zach Wilson was still the guy on the field, you'd look at this and you go, there's nothing sustainable here. You know, big play runs, like, that's not going to happen. You know, defense playing how it is, knocking the, you know, Dolphins quarterback out on the first play of the game so they're down to the third string quarterback. Like, that kind of stuff's just not going to happen year over year. So I, I think they've... Um, I think they've built a roster that probably can win six or seven games um, in spite of a quarterback. And that number's higher if they get decent quarterback play. I think uh, Sala, the way he handled Zach Wilson's stuff, I thought was great. Um, he's, He's... He's improved so much more with his handling of, like, the media. Uh, Even from where he was early in the season where, you know, the nonsense with, well, Wilson's ready to come back in and then, well, he's going to be out five weeks. Like, okay, he he, that was the last one that he did that was that bad. Um, You know, but he's gotten a lot better with that stuff. I think the way he handled that whole receipts thing I think was – pretty good, you know, even when they want a game off it. Um, I don't think he's ever, well, I can't say ever, but at the moment, you're not getting a coaching edge because of him. You know, he 
He's probably a bit like uh, Herman Edwards. Um, I think the players really like him. I think they they like playing for him. But I, I think when when you get down to Sunday, um, obviously he's he's got the team you know ready to go. He's got the guys prepared, you know, for the game. You know, the, you don't see the Jets sleepwalking. For the, they kind of sleptwalked through the first half of this last game, but um, you know, you don't see the guys just going through the motions the way that they did last year, and certainly the way they did with Adam Gase as the uh, head coach. You know, you, you don't see that. Um, but I don't think that, like, even the stuff they do this year, like defensively, right, where. You know, we're, we're looking at the Jets and we're saying, you know, this defense is great. You know, th- this is going to be their their calling card for the next three or four years. Um, you know, do we ever look at it, any of these games, are we really looking at this and going, you know, the Jets put in this masterful defense that, you know, confused the hell out of a quarterback. You know, that, you know, they, they really had Josh Allen confused and... You know, he made these really bad plays because he, he couldn't read the way the Jets were disguising their coverage and the way the way the Jets were, um, you know, showing this and moving into this and then moving into something completely different. It's all like, yeah, the Jets' defensive line is winning one-on-one matchups. Sauce Gardner is just keeping up with everybody. DJ Reed is keeping up with everybody. You, you don't have that... Um, you don't have that stuff where you, you start looking at the staff and you go, okay, they're an advantage against the, the team that they're facing. You don't see that. So I, I don't think that that exists yet with the Jets. Maybe it will. Um, you know, but, you know, he, he's getting the guys to play for him. And, you know, kind of like with the Herm thing, you know, it, it was... Those were, if you're old enough to know those teams. So if you're following from Jets Gap, you probably remember those teams because that was, uh, I think I launched that Mangini's second or third year. Um, so you, you'd still be, you know, know enough about the Herm stuff. You know, Edwards was a coach that you beat the teams you were supposed to beat. You were competitive against the teams you weren't supposed to beat, but you lost against most of those teams you weren't supposed to beat. And right now, that kind of feels like the upside for the Jets, you know, moving forward, uh, which is okay. You know, it's it's not the greatest thing in the world. But until you have a roster that you can look at and say, okay, the coach is keeping us from winning. Like, you don't, I, I don't think you make a change with that. Like, I looked at, um, you know, this past week, and I know we're going off on a Jets tangent here. But, uh, you know, after the, the Jets lost this week, I, I popped over to uh, Jet Nation just to look to see. You know, sometimes I'll post on there, but just to look to see what was the mood of most of the guys there. And, you know, it was a lot of negativity towards the staff, you know, mainly towards the offensive coordinator. And, yeah, they, they called some boneheaded stuff when the Jets were down by the goal line. Um but, you know, time-wise, I mean, they, they played that stuff right to where you took your one shot, you didn't get in, but you kept everyone cool, calm, and collected and said, you know, we're still going to get one more shot if we stop them on defense, which they did. Um, 
But yeah, you, you could already see the, the stuff turning on the offensive coordinator. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think those things are, I, I don't think the Jets are at that position yet to where it's fair to turn on the staff until the staff gets to the point where you're just like, okay, they're costing us games. Yeah, the offensive coordinator did not do a great job this past week, but I can't say he's the reason they lost the game. They lost that game for a number of reasons. So, you know, I I don't think the Jets are at that stage yet, but I think the fan base has already started to shift to that um, because of how the team is you know, played in some of these games and where their record's gone. And that might be a problem for them next year. Um, you know, but we'll wait and see. Tyler, assuming the Chiefs cut Frank Clark after the season and don't extend or tag Orlando Brown, how many decent contracts uh, can they give out? Two or three. So again, they're not a team that spends a lot of money. But, you know, the, if they do that, um, you know, Clark will free up a good amount of space. You know, they could probably sign two decent players Brian why is no one talking about Tannehill being a cut candidate for teams like the Jets whether he's a smart choice different story Titans drafted Willis and they have a new GM who will likely want to move on how does it look in any of the other surprise quarterback candidates uh, I don't know if there's any surprise quarterback candidates I don't think Tannehill's a surprise uh, kind of like how I mentioned a little bit before about him um, you know maybe people just aren't thinking about it yet uh, but you know, it, you know, because the team is seven and five, and who knows what you know happens in the playoffs? You never know. Um, but yeah, I I would say when you you look at the big picture of things, um, you know, Tannehill is definitely, I think, a a potential release. Um, you know, they they they're gonna have to figure those those things out, but um. Let's see what happens with Mike White before we uh, we start moving on to, you know, bringing in the veteran who couldn't get another team over the hum. Cam, you may have been asked this before, but what does Geno Smith's contract look like in the offseason? Um, I think... Um, I think he'll be in the low 20s. You know, if it... Again... If it was me, uh, I think I would just, you know, offer him the deal or consider tagging him. I would probably transition tag him because I I don't think there's going to be a lot of teams in the league that offer him a big contract. Um, you know, I, I don't think anyone is going to take the Geno Smith resurgence any more serious than they took Ryan Fitzpatrick's resurgence in 2015. You know, I, I think they're going to look at it and just kind of shrug their shoulders and say, yeah, you know, he's fine, but we're not going to spend a lot of money on him. So I, I think you could probably, if worse came to worse, you could transition tag him and kind of move from there. All right, so I think that does it for the question. So that'll do it for me. So Nelly, we have anything before we go? No, you're just eating some hay. I guess Nelly's eating some hay. So uh, nothing from Nelly. So hopefully uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, I think I'll be able to sneak in 
two more podcasts before the holidays, and then we'll take a little bit of a break. But uh, hopefully I'll definitely get one in next week, and we'll get back to uh, doing a little bit more contract stuff. I'll talk about the edge rusher piece that I did this week, just looking at potential cuts. And, you know, I'll do another position this week. Maybe I'll look at corners. Maybe I'll look at running backs. I'm not sure which one. I I do have a bunch of other work I got to get to, um, but hopefully I can sneak it in. If not, we'll maybe the the week after that, uh, you know. But I'll definitely get the podcast, and even if I can't get another article up on a position. So, all right. So everybody have a great week, and I will talk to you all again soon.